Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well, and I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. Thank you, Jay and choir and orchestra. I want to um, brag on Jay a little bit. Um, You know, there is a... We're very blessed, um, folks, to have uh, Cole and Jay... Uh, staff members. There is a shortage, believe it or not, a major problem in the local church now, and it's quickly becoming a huge problem, is um, staff. uh, Staff. There's not many out there anymore. Um, I know many, many churches looking for uh, student ministers, family ministers, and music ministers. Uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, Even uh, pastorates. Pastors are harder to come by these days. So we're lucky to have staff, but we're, we're blessed beyond measure to have uh, Cole and Jay. And I just want to say that, and I mean it with all my heart. Amen, absolutely. <laughs> Yesterday, uh, we uh, uh, had a, an honor for um, Brother Don Young and Miss Margaret in our church. Don is 95 years old and is a uh, merchant Marine veteran of World War II, both the Atlantic and the Pacific. And uh, my good friend and uh, one of our aldermen, Mike Impey, had worked hard to get um, his name and a plaque for him on the Merchant Marines Memorial up on uh, Front Beach. And the mayor worked hard. And we had a ceremony yesterday, and I was sitting next to the mayor. And Jay stood and sang the national anthem and did a marvelous job, sang the whole thing. When you get home, look up the whole thing uh, because uh, the last few lines really tell a tale about our nation and its founding. But um, the mayor leaned over and said, this is your minister of music? And I said, yes, he is. And he said, well, where have you been hiding him? I want to use him for... For the city stuff, man, anytime you're involved, I want him involved. And I said, well, we can do that. So we're very blessed, and I appreciated his work yesterday. Amen. I had a pastor who needs, uh, had a pastor who needs some staff, and they are suffering with his staff shortage. And he said, well, what about your two? Would you, uh, do you think they may be interested? I said, well, here's the deal with my two. I said, we pay them $472,000 apiece. And uh, also, they do not have to bring their favorite dessert at the annual meeting. But, um, and that was the clincher. He said, well, I can't top that. They got to bring dessert. But anyway, um, uh, I appreciate them both and love them both. Obadiah, turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Obadiah as we continue to look at, at major principles, eight major principles from the most minor prophets of the prophets, the most minor of the prophets, meaning in length, from the book of Obadiah. Thus far, last week when we began this series of messages, we discovered from the book of Obadiah two of principles, first of all, that God is faithful, and second of all, the second principle is that God has a very significant purpose for you. Anything you do for the Lord in obedience to Him is significant and has eternal significance. Obadiah is a brief little 21-verse book in our Bibles, and it's the shortest book of the Bible. But yet today, all these thousands of years after it was written, down here in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, we're talking about Obadiah. And um, I want you to know, everything you do for the Lord is significant. Let me read now. 
verses 1 and 2, and we come to our third principle today that I want to talk about, and it is this. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen, the nations. Thou art greatly despised. Thou art greatly despised. Believe it or not, this is one of the most difficult of all texts of Scripture in the Bible to grasp, to understand. I think we comprehend it. It's just very difficult for us to understand. It is mentioned in Malachi and then again in Romans chapter 9. And we're going to deal with this uh, text today. And um, this is one of those times when you just have to sit back and say, well, that is what the Bible says. And um, we accept it as the written, sovereign Word of God. And this principle that I want to talk about is just that. God is sovereign. Obadiah begins his book with a formal uh, or a formula for pending judgment. He speaks what God has told him to speak and has the authority stated in that little phrase that you see time and time again in the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord. And then he says, we have heard a report. We have heard a rumor. Well, that is how one nation would declare war on another nation during the days of Obadiah, during the days of the Old Testament. We have heard a rumor. We have, we have a report for you. We are going to make war with you. But this is not one nation upon another nation. This is Almighty Sovereign God declaring war upon the nation of Edom. And as we get into this further in the weeks to come, we're going to see just how God wages war. You have heard the phrase total war. Well, God, when He declares war, I promise you it is total war. But can you imagine having God declaring war on America? Well, that is not an attack, I promise you. I don't know what that is. But he is declaring war on Edom in this text with these words. And I want to say before I expound upon this um, phrase, thou art greatly despised, I want to tell you that uh, we have trouble with it. There are some issues that we have with that little phrase as it pans out later in the book of Malachi, and then in the book of Romans. We struggle with this. And I think there's several reasons we struggle with it. I think one reason is, is because we find it difficult to, to think that God would despise anybody, that God would hate anybody. Uh, and the reason we have a hard time thinking about God that way is uh, because we have perhaps an um, incomplete view of God. We have an incomplete view of God. We, we haven't fully developed a full biblical view of Almighty God. And I want to tell you this. I blame that on the pulpits for, uh, in some cases. Uh, this is why we preach through the Bible verse by verse. I I do it uh, for, that's my conviction that we need to preach through the Bible as the Bible's written. But also, I want to say that uh, I also do it so I will not be tempted to ignore the hard stuff, to ignore the hard text. It, it drives me to prayer and drives me to study. And uh, also, it'll give us all a full picture of God. But uh, folks, I want to tell you, we love the great stories of the New Testament where Jesus 
uh, touched blind men, when he told a woman called in adultery, go and sin no more. And I'm so glad God was that way with me. And, and I pray He's that way with you, gracious and merciful and kind. But I want to tell you, the same Gospels that tell us those stories tell us that one day Jesus made a whip, went inside the church house with the whip and started swinging the whip at people and ran them out. You see? And we need to have a complete view of God. And one thing is His hatred that we tend to ignore because we don't want to deal with it. We, we have a hard time with it. Another reason is, is difficult for us to grasp this, is that we have received so much grace and so much of the mercy of God. We have received it in our lives that we just, we just have a hard time understanding what we're about to look at in terms of the sovereignty of God and in terms of what, Mal or what Obadiah says here, thou art greatly despised. So I want to uh, give you uh, um, three things about God's sovereignty, that God is sovereign, this principle that we're working on. And I hope it'll help you and encourage you to worship. These kind of things drive us to worship. If they don't drive you to worship, I pray that they drive you and push you toward repentance and pleading for mercy, the mercy of God. And so this is one of those things we must consider if we're going to be true to our Bibles. So I wanted to give you three things about the sovereignty of God that spring from his dealings with the Edomites. So first of all, you got to go all the way to Romans chapter 9. So if you will, put your finger on Obadiah and go all the way to Romans chapter 9. And the first principle or second sub-principle we see under the principle God is sovereign is we see that God's sovereignty is not affected by us. God's sovereignty is not affected by us. If we could affect the sovereignty of God, then He wouldn't be sovereign. And so God's sovereignty is not affected by us. Let me read to you uh, what Paul did when he quoted Malachi and referred to Obadiah a loose quote from Obadiah. Obadiah said, you are greatly despised. Well, Malachi and Paul uh, put it this way, and he's talking about, in verses 1 through 9 of Romans, he's talking about the Israelites, the nation of Israel, and their election. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 need to be studied together. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 1, Paul says, I have, I'm not lying, I am burdened and am burdened. I have great heaviness and great sorrow for my kinsmen according to the flesh, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. He says, I am burdened for them and I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ rather than them. Paul says, I, would, I want to be lost and them be saved. I'm willing to switch if I could. And then in Romans chapter 10, uh, Paul says, Brethren, my prayer to God for Israel, the nation, the people, is that they might be saved. And then Romans chapter 11 gives us that wonderful prophetic word, the only nation in history that has the promise that he's going to save every one of them when he returns. All living Jews will come to Christ. Romans 11 says all Israel will be saved when Christ returns to earth. They're the only nation and people that have that promise from God. Now, Romans 9, the rest of it, he says in verse 10, and, and not only this, he says, but when Rebekah also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calls. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. 
Remember that from last week if you were here. What, and then he says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time grasping that verse. As a matter of fact, there are many explanations for what does it mean that God hated Esau? How in the world could the God that I know and the God I've experienced or the God that has been explained to me all these years in a good old-fashioned Southern Baptist Sunday school hate Esau? Matter of fact, I had a gentleman tell me the other day, he said, I've never heard a Baptist preach from Romans 9. Well, we're preaching from it today because we have to if we're going to deal with Obadiah. So what does this mean that God loved Jacob and hated Esau? How could God hate anybody? Well, I want to tell you, there's many explanations, and I'm not in a classroom, so I'm not going to give you all those explanations. And Man, there's some mighty big words in all these explanations. And one day we'll talk about these things, perhaps, uh, you, you treat me to a big old ribeye steak dinner, I'll tell you all about it. I'll tell you every view that's ever been written that I know about, and then I'll go learn some more and we'll go eat again. But uh, I just want to tell you three, uh, three things. First of all, some would say, well, that simply means that God knew what Esau would grow up and do. And so he just said beforehand, I, I hate him. Now, there's no way you can say God is saying, I hate what Esau did. This is not one of those texts that say, uh, hate the sin but love the sinner, because he says right here, I hate Esau. Is that what he says? So, I mean, let's don't do our gymnastics with that. So, God just knew what he would do and, and uh, knew what Esau would do, and so he therefore hated Esau. Well, I have a problem with that for, for two fundamental reasons. Number one, he also knew what Jacob would do. Have you read much about Jacob? Huh? Jacob was a liar, a cheater, an embezzler. The poor boy just had some issues. He would be at parchment if he was alive today. No, he wouldn't. He'd be in one of the federal prisons. Well, I'm telling you, he... Uh, uh, he, uh, he was awful. Well, God knew what he would do, didn't he? God knows what Esau would do, didn't he? And so that can't be the explanation because God says in our text that I just read from Romans 9, it has nothing to do with what they had done. It's not what they had done. God says, I sovereignly have done this. And then there's others, the second thing, there's others who say that this is a comparable statement. That when he says, I love Jacob, but I hated Esau, he is basically speaking in terms of hyperbole. And uh, there is much credence to this, because if you remember one day when Jesus was talking about discipleship, and he said, if any man hate not his mother and father, he cannot follow me. Now, wait a minute. The law says, honor your mother and father. So is Jesus telling us to hate our mother so we can follow him? Absolutely not. That is a hyperbole in Scripture. And what Jesus is doing is, is he, he is emphasizing the point of our allegiance and love for him. He is not telling us we hate our mother and father. You've got to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And you find that Jesus is speaking in hyperbole, right? You say, well, hyperbole, but he still said it. Well, you know, we speak in hyperbole all the time, and we know what everybody means, do we not? So let's just know what Jesus meant. So there's credibility in that, that when he said, Jacob I love, Esau I have hated, he might be speaking in terms of hyperbole, and the third, third thing that we have, a third explanation, is that he is speaking about the election of Israel as a nation, not necessarily as individual Jews, but as a nation. 
Now you say, well, Dr. Mike, what do you believe? What do you think? Well, I'm going to tell you what I think. I think it's a combination of the last two. I think God is speaking in terms of the nation of Israel. That's Romans 9, 1 through 9. And I think also He is speaking somewhat hyperbole or or comparatively because of other texts of Scripture. But I want to tell you this. There's a lot we don't understand. And we need to be very careful about this. The proper response to this is not to scratch our heads and say, well, I believe this, I believe that, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm one of the, these, I believe that. No, this is the proper response. Look at verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but it's of God that shows mercy. For the Scripture said unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose I have raised thee up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will he hardens. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who are you that replies against God? we got to be careful and not argue with God. Were you ever at the age if you talked back to your mom or daddy, something happened to you? We called that sassin where I come from. And if you if you and I knew some I knew some folks, if you talked back to them and they were the, your daddy and mama, that sassin would lead to an assassin. Amen. <laughs> I mean, but look, you don't talk back to God, he says. He says, Nay, old man, who are you that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and to another unto dishonor? Folks, we got to be careful with that. God says here, you don't get to say, God, you made me, you shaped me like a piece of clay. You turned me into an ashtray or a spittoon. But God, I want to be a flower vase. I want to be something else. Boy, that's a good message for our country today, isn't it? Amen. If you don't know what I'm talking about, God made you a man. He didn't make you a woman. Ladies, he made you a woman. He didn't make you a man. Amen. You don't get to say, God, you made a mistake. This is what I'm going to be. You know, that's good preaching, whether you like it or not. And so God made that distinction before Jacob and Esau were born Who was Esau to look up and say, God, you're not being fair? And who are we to say, God, you're not being fair? We just need to be careful. The great preacher Spurgeon said it this way. There are some men who claim to know all about the matter. They twist it around their fingers as easily as if it were on an everyday thing. But depend on it. He who thinks he knows all about this mystery knows but very little. In that same quote, someone, in that same sermon where Spurgeon made that quote, he tells that someone came up to um, him and said, Pastor, I have serious issues with Romans 9. And the great preacher Spurgeon said, I do too. What is your issue? And the man said, I have a problem with God hating Esau. And Spurgeon said, well, my problem is, is with God loving Jacob. (laughs) Amen. You look at both of them and they were both rascals. So God's sovereignty is not affected by us. We need to understand that. You say, oh, preacher, you, you... You a Calvinist. No, I'm a Biblicist, and I'm going to get there in a minute. Just stay with me. Just stay with me. So go back to Obadiah, and I want to show you something else about God's what God's sovereignty means. First of all, God's sovereignty is not affected by us. 
Second of all, God uses the nations for His sovereign will. We find that right here in the text, right here in chapter 1 and verse B, or 1B, or verse 1B. He says, We have heard a rumor from the Lord, an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise and let us rise up and go against her in battle. The command was going out to the nations of the world to come against and make war with Edom. This is that declaration of war by God. He summons the nations to come against Edom. And God has done this throughout history. He has done this all through history. We read about it in the Bible, and we read about it in the history books of the world. He used Israel as judgment against the wicked and pagan Canaanites. And then he used the Babylonians and the Assyrians against the Israelites and the Babylonians against Judah, the southern kingdom. In modern history, he used the allies against the Axis powers. He always has done that through history. He has used the nations for his sovereign will. Can't get around that. By the way, I want to tell you, I've been reading a lot of history these days and people talk about how bad America's been. I want to tell you something. We've always been on the right side of history against communism, against fascism. I don't care what they say. I'm, I'm blessed to be an American. God uses the nations for His sovereign will. May we always be used for His righteous cause. We're going to get into that in a couple of weeks. We're going to preach a sermon from Obadiah entitled, When God Pounds the Pulpit, and we're going to look at that later. But the third thing I want to show you about the sovereignty of God is God alone can raise up and put down a nation. Verse 2, I have made thee small among the heathen. And we're going to read, as we read through Obadiah, uh, Obadiah, he can put down a nation, he can raise a nation up. Only God can make a nation powerful, and only God can make a nation weak. Only God can give favor to the nations of the world. And so the, we learn that God is sovereign over the nations of the world. Does this mean, since God hated Esau, does this mean that no Edomite could ever have come to the Lord? Does this mean that God hates lost people? Well, I want to tell you, if you, if you believe that and, and um, think that, uh, there's a few issues you have. Um, first of all, in Romans 9, he only mentions two individuals in terms of his hatred. That's Pharaoh and Esau. Um, and then also, there's a few groups of people in the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 6 talks about six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. And he talks about hands that shed innocent blood. And he talks about... He, and he literally says, those that stir up discord so amongst the brethren. So, you know, you're going to have a, a few issues with that because there's only two and then specific groups. But um, we know that this can't be true because the same book of Romans that says, Jacob I loved, Esau I've hated, also says, for when we were without strength, when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a good man would some die. And for a righteous man, some would even scarcely dare to die. Then he says, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it can't mean that God hates unsaved people. What about that great verse of Scripture, John 3, 16? For God, the same God that said, Esau I hate, Jacob I love, the same God, for God, that God, so loved the world. Now there's no other way to define the world except the inhabitants in it. 
It's not a certain group of people. It's not a special group of people that God picked out versus those that he said, you're gone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the only one born that way, the only one born in that manner, that whosoever, what does whosoever mean? Does whosoever mean an Edomite? I think it does. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I've been reading ahead in Obadiah, and it says God's going to wipe them from the face of the earth. Yeah, he is. We're going to see that in weeks to come. I'll tell you when he did it. But I want to share with you, whosoever, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So that's a really wonderful truth. He will always, God will always act in accordance with His Word and His revealed character. And part of that is the sovereignty of God and other is His grace and mercy. He always acts within that. So the second principle today, I want to talk about principle number four in Obadiah, is God is gracious. You say, well, God is sovereign. Yes, but God is gracious to forgive and save people from their sins and their coming destruction. You know, when, when we sit down and plan worship services in advance, uh, and I, I get titles ready and and I, we, we sit down with Jay and we look and get the books together that you have. Uh, we, we talk about the different songs. And Jay saw this title, Sovereign Hate and Saving Grace. And he said, um, I, I, I've never heard of, of that. I, I, I don't have any songs about sovereign hate. I don't, I don't think they put them in, the, in anywhere. And we'd have a hard time finding that. And, um, and so he said, but I'll, I'll do my best. Well, you know what? He did his best. Because you want to know where sovereign hate and, and saving grace meet? At the cross. That's where it meets, at the cross. Where the justice of God and his hatred for sin is met with his love and mercy for sinners. And so God is gracious, for God so loved the world that whosoever shall come to him. I want to read to you a text of Scripture and show you this. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 through 7. God says in the law, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt. And because they hired against thee Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pether, of Mesopotamia, to curse you. They hired a false prophet to curse them. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto you, because the Lord thy God loved you. Thou shalt not seek their peace nor their prosperity all thy days forever. So in other words, if you were a Moabite, or an Ammonite, there is absolutely no way that Israel is going to seek your peace. There was no way that you could come into the congregation of the Lord. You were doomed under His sovereign justice. Well, then the next phrase says, Thou shalt not abhor an Edomite. That's who Obadiah is talking about. For he is your brother. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian because you are a stranger in his land. So Deuteronomy speaks of the Ammonites and Moabites. And it says, no way. They're not welcome. But yet, if you read through the Old Testament, you come to a little book of Ruth. Remember her? Ladies... Study the book of Ruth and then tell your husbands to act like Boaz. 
Young ladies who aren't married yet, find you a Boaz to marry. Stay away from an Esau, but you marry a Boaz. And if you say, well, I don't know if he's a Boaz or not, get with me and your daddy and we'll tell you. But there was a famine in the land of Judea, and a man <clears throat> took his family there. The man died, but his sons had married Moabite women in, in uh, contrary to the law of God. And then all of a sudden, it, the famine was over, and Naomi, the mother, lost her husband and two sons, and so she had these two widow daughters-in-law who were Moabites. And Naomi said, I'm going back to the land of Judah, to Bethlehem, my home, and I'm going to live there and die there. And the two daughters-in-law, Ruth, one of them, said, okay, we'll go with you. And she said, look, I, look it's not going to work. It's not going to work for you to come back with me. She said, you know, according to our law, if, if, if I had another son, you could marry him, but it's too late for that. Even if I were to have a son, would you wait for him to get of age? And Orpah, the one, went back and said, okay, I'll stay in Moab. But Ruth said those wonderful words, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and my God and thy God will be my God. When you die, where you die, is that's where I will die. Where you will be buried, that's where I will be buried. And the Lord do to me if I don't keep this commitment. Those were words of a Moabite woman to her Jewish mother, Judean mother-in-law. And she went to Bethlehem. And she converted, she repented of her Moabite gods and turned to the Lord. She was of a condemned race just like the Edomites. And she went and converted and repented to the one true God and was received and is in the lineage of our Savior. See, that's where justice and grace meets. This was a condemned race just like the Edomites. Now, I want to share this with you. You say, well, preacher, what about the Ammonites? Teaches us not to be presumptuous, folks. I don't know of a recorded Ammonite who turned to God, but I do know of at least one Moabite who repented of their sin and came to the Lord. You say, well, how could that be? God had condemned her. She was a Moabite. God had condemned her. How could that be? Well, you have sinned. The wages of sin is death. How could God save you? It's because of the cross. That's where his justice and his hatred meet and, and, his, and his love meet at the cross. Let me tell you about another lady who was of a condemned race. I think of a prostitute by the name of Rahab. She was a Canaanite. You know what her people did? Her people murdered babies. They murdered babies. You think a nation that murders babies is, is loved and liked and appreciated by God Almighty? Sure don't think so. She was a citizen of a condemned nation. God said, wipe them out. Well, when the two spies came over, Moses sent, see, Moses sent um, 12 spies. Remember? Joshua sent two. He learned from Moses, you know, that's too many. The committee can be too big, amen? And so he sent two. And the Rahab ran, the spies ran into Rahab, and Rahab hit them and protected them. And Rahab, and God didn't save her because she did that. God doesn't save us because of something we do. God saved her because she had faith in the one true God. She said, we've heard what your God has done to the Egyptians, and I personally believe it. And I want to turn to your God. And she repented of her, her gods there in Jericho and turned to the Lord. And the Bible says, the spies said, if you want to be spared, you hang this, this cord, scarlet cord, outside the window. 
and our soldiers will see it and your home and everybody in your home will be spared. It's called the scarlet cord of redemption. It runs all through the Bible. It's called the blood of Christ. And I want to tell you, a woman of a condemned race named Rahab came to the Lord. A condemned race came to the Lord. Trusted in the one true God. And by the way, Rahab is in the, book, in the genealogy of Jesus as well. Isn't that something? If you had a prostitute in your genealogy, would you tell anybody about it? Well, God put it in the Gospel of Matthew. That's grace, isn't it? Also, she's mentioned in, the, in Hebrews chapter 11, the roll call of faith. So we have two ladies of a condemned race. You say, well, preacher, Obadiah is talking about the Edomites. What about the Edomites? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn with me to Mark chapter 3 and verse 7. Let me show you something. Now, there's many Edomites in the, wicked Edomites in the Bible. You read about them. When you read through the Old Testament, look for the Edomites. They're some of the most wicked people that ever lived. While you're turning to Mark 3, 7, I will, well, it's on the screen unless you just want to turn there, but um, I, I'm reminded of one Edomite by the name of Doeg. Doeg was his name. He served Saul, King Saul. And he was so evil and wicked that he killed a whole family and a whole city of godly priests in the city of Nob. You read further on and you come to a, an Edomite who is also called an Idumean. If you might recall from last week, through the course of history, the Edomites migrated kind of south into a land that is called Idumea. And so the Edomites in New Testament times are called the Idumeans. And out of the Edomites there and then came a family by the name of Herod. And when Rome took over Judea, they were, Herod befriended, the Herods defended them, and the, and the Romans made them governors. As a matter of fact, they gave one of them the title of king, Herod the Great. And he was the one who slaughtered the babies of Bethlehem. We have many wicked Edomites. It's no wonder God would say, I hated Esau. But I want you to see, but Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from where? Idumea. Some of the old Edomites, the Idumeans, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, and when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. Perhaps some of these Idumeans, these Edomites, heard Jesus and heard about Jesus and they repented from their sins and perhaps we may see them in heaven one day. So, what do we do with all of this? Well, I, I want to tell you... Um, I have several things. Let me just give you a few of them. Number one, we need to repent of our dependence upon political parties and leadership in our nation. And God's people need to trust God rather than political party or any president. Amen. You say, well, I don't like Joe Biden. He's this. He's, a, he's for abortion. He's liberal in many areas. Well, I agree with you, but I want to tell you something. Donald Trump had a profane mouth and took the name of the Lord in vain. You think God's going to let that slide? We need to repent of our dependence upon parties and quit thinking that every four years we're going to get a new Savior in the White House. God alone raises up a nation and makes it strong. God alone is who makes a nation great, and God alone is who makes it weak. And I want to tell you, when a nation is weak, it's because God is cursing its sin. And we need to repent of our affiliation. Now, my heart rate is up because I'm scared of some of you right now. But not for long. I got the Bible to back me. Amen. What do you have? A little elephant on your lapel or a donkey? Amen. 
Amen. <laughs> Told you I wouldn't be scared long. <laughs> we get to the house sometimes, and Tracy says, you know, you came on strong with that, and, uh, you know, you might get one of those youth ministry jobs somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, folks, I'm telling you the truth. Amen. amen. And if you can't amen that, you're an idolater because you're worshiping some political party or some politician. Amen. We got to trust God for our nation's health. We got to trust God for our nation's safety. And the Edomites, God said, I have made you small among the heathen. I have made you small. God can make any nation small that he wants to. He said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We need to repent in our nation. Second of all, I think you need to mourn. We need to mourn and cry out to God for our nation. You know what's interesting is that there is no prophet that is ever sent to Edom. None. You say, well, what about Obadiah? Remember, he was sent to Judea. He wasn't sent to Edom. He was preaching to the Jews about the Edomites. He's the kind of preacher everybody wants who preach against somebody else. Jeremiah preached against the Edomites, but he preached to Judah. Ezekiel, I read it this morning in my Bible time. He preached to the, against the Edomites, but he preached to the Judeans. He preached to the, to the captives in, in Babylon. Let me ask you this about, uh, interesting. Esau had the same opportunity to submit to the sovereignty of God when he grew up in the home of Jacob or Isaac. He, he had the same opportunities. He could have humbly accepted that the covenant would not go through him but through his twin brother. He could have accepted that humbly and you know what? He would have had a wonderful life because there was a covenant for him. There was promises to him. He could have had a wonderful life by accepting the covenant, the promises of God for him. So let me ask you something about a nation. Can a nation start out with the opportunities for the blessings of God upon it? Its founders be submissive and acknowledge the Judeo-Christian ethic of God's word and acknowledge God and His Word, and throughout the course of history become profane and lose that fidelity to the God they once honored? Can that happen? We need to mourn for our nation. A third thing I would say is this. I would ask, are you saved? We are all of a condemned race. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There was none righteous, no, not one, not one of us. But yet many people, even with that think God has written them off. I want to tell you, if you think for one minute that God hates you, that indicates to me that He doesn't hate you. Because if God hated you, you would not be concerned about it now. God is gracious. He hates sin and He will judge it. And He has not given us Americans the promise that He gave Israel, but He has given us the gospel of grace. And He says, I have extended the covenant of grace to the Gentile peoples of the world, and that is us. And today is the day of salvation, and He saves people from sin and the condemnation of it. He is gracious. And then another thing, if it doesn't drive you to repentance and a pleading for grace and mercy, you know, folks, we've lost that in, in the doctrine of, of salvinic preaching and preaching about salvation. We don't mention that, that we repent from our sin and, and, and you're in a desperate situation. 
You are under the wrath of God if you are not in Christ. That's what the cross was. We're going we're to say in one of these sermons in Obadiah coming up this, and I want to say it today, do not think for one minute, and make no mistake about it, that the judgment and wrath of God is mitigated and softened by His grace. It is not. Don't belittle the cross that way. God is wrathful and He is gracious. And His wrath is not somehow lessened because of His grace. The full wrath of Almighty God was poured out upon Jesus, the eternal Son of God on the cross, and eternity died on the cross. And the earth was shaken. Creation groaned and mourned and was in turmoil. God hates sin and He will judge it. And the sinner who has not repented and been covered by the blood and under the grace of God will suffer the full wrath of God. That's the message of Obadiah today. He saves people, though, from his sin. He is gracious. And in grace there is none of his wrath. None of it. It's just not a softening of God's wrath. It is his saving grace. And there is none of it. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's from the book of Romans, chapter 8. And so if it doesn't drive you to repentance, it needs to make your worship experience on Sunday morning perhaps richer and deeper that this God who, who says, I hate Esau and I love Jacob and what they did did not determine that. That was before they were born and not because they would do anything I am a God who is sovereign, but I am gracious. And if you have received the grace of God, perhaps in Sunday morning you would quit looking at your watch. You'd quit being concerned about what's for supper and what's for dinner and where you're going to go and when we're going to get out and how you don't like this and how you don't like that. And you would have a deeper worship for the Lord Jesus Christ who hates sin and is wrathful but has given you grace and mercy for eternity. Maybe worship will be deeper now than it was. Well, all that from the most minor prophet in the Word of God rich and what a privilege it is to read it and learn it. Let's stand for our song of appeal. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.